0: At a time of deep division in today's society, we must come together for humanity's sake. On Can We Talk 360, we strive to stimulate an authentic conversation on issues that affect all of us in an environment of tolerance. I'm Eugene Pettis, attorney and community servant. Tune into our discussion to foster a greater awareness of yourself and others. Let's discover how there is strength in our differences and an abundance of possibilities when we stand together as one humanity. Welcome to Can We Talk 360. I am pleased to uh, invite again uh, to our platform, Dr. Carl Mack. You'll recall that Dr. Carl Mack uh, was with us back in May in which he gave a wonderful and in-depth historical uh, discussion on the history of Black history. Uh, We talked about topics of how our history has been uh, misrecorded, if you will, and really educated us on some points that we should all uh, be informed in. But we're excited to uh, come with part two of Dr. Mack's uh black blacks in sports and politics. And we're going to talk about the interrelationship between sports and politics. Uh and hear his perspe- perspective perspective uh, from different angles, both uh a political perspective of sports and politics, and also looking at America's favorite game and that's football. And to look at the history of how politics has played a role uh, uh, in the game of football and beyond, uh, in our professional sports.
1: It, you know, Dr.
0: Mack, welcome. And, and I'm looking forward to this this discussion.
1: Eugene, thank you so much for having me back. I certainly appreciate it.
0: In in preparation for this conversation, I, I was asking myself um, about just in recent decade, how it appears, and I was a young man back uh, in 1968, Mm. uh when the olympic protests occurred when and we'll we'll touch upon that and the outcry i was eight years old seven to eight years old at that point in time but i just remember an outcry as if they had done something wrong uh and 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 then uh go forward to Colin kaepernick uh when someone didn't turn their back and moon the crowd or shoot a bird or curse he kneeled down in one of the most humble postures probably of mankind and he was ostracized by everyone starting with the president of the united states yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how people responded to that so it just it you know it, it appeared to me that when black athletes have used the sports uh platforms that they are on mm. uh in america it seems to not have been received uh, 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 the same as when it has been used by others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to have some discussion uh, mm-hmm. and get your insight on on how politics has been used uh, by the United States, <laughs> the country, how mm-hmm. politics has been used uh, in sporting events. And to contrast, therefore, why is it that when African-American athletes use it, Is so ostracized and literally uh colin kaepernick lost his career Mm -hmm. and he got you know blackballed that no owner despite the need for his talent nobody would touch him Mm -hmm. Uh, clearly there was an unwritten rule among the 30 or so owners to never give him an opportunity as if he had done something that uh egregious so that's the general topic set set the stage for me dr mack on 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 this whole conflict in my mind of how black athletes are treated and how everyone else and the country uh is treated when we use politics in sports.
1: Good Lord, Eugene, I tell you what, man, you you have gotten me you got me twisted and turning in every kind of direction um with that and so many thoughts that are running through my mind. So I, I just need to try and slow down and and let me first start with Kaepernick. Um, when you talked about how Kaepernick was blackballed out of the league, America has a history of it. But now, in order to understand that, I started thinking to myself, who was the first black to ever protest in America? And and it would be easy, I think, for most. Like in your case, I was with you. I thought, was it Carlos and Smith in '68? And that yes. Was, well, maybe it was Ali in 67, when in fact, I remember when I played a, a round of golf with, with the iconic hero, Bill Russell, and Russell told me of him boycotting a, a NBA exhibition game in 1961. And in all of my my searching, I can't find any anybody, any black athlete protesting before that. But, but let's go back to what you said about what happened to Kaepernick. And I want to remind people of what happened to Ali when Ali protested in 67. When he protested in 67, remember, he was stripped of his title. Why? Because Ali wanted to to institute his constitutional rights as a conscientious objector to going to the war in Vietnam. But he got stripped of everything. In 68, when Carlos and Smith and Norman, when they all protested, each one of them, got hammered by their nations. I want us to remember Kurt Flood. And and, and the reason I want us to remember Kurt Flood, because today in professional sports, you have to remember that there was a clause that all professional sports used to use. It was called the reserve clause. And what that clause meant was that if a team drafted you or secured your services, they felt as though they had your services into perpetuity. For as long as you played that sport, they had you. And Kurt Flood was the first athlete to challenge the reserve clause. And he did that in on December 24th, 1969, where he challenged baseball's reserve clause. And then from that, so today, when you think of all of these big contracts that athletes today get, we all owe a debt of gratitude to Kurt Flood. But now remember, baseball ran Kurt Flood out of the league. And even today, Even though Kirk Flood has won the World Series title, been on two world championship teams, seven gold gloves, and baseball says that the Hall of Fame is meant to tell their story. How could you tell that story without Kirk Flood? But baseball still holds a grudge against Kirk Flood. So the point that I'm making, Gene, is what you're talking about with Kaepernick is what has happened to athletes who have stepped out. Case in point, now, most people may not remember Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges played with the Chicago Bulls. And if you could go back and remember, um, uh, Eugene, uh, uh, the motorist, Rodney King. Remember when the Rodney King incident occurred? Well, that year when the Rodney King incident occurred, and I believe it was 91. When that incident occurred, the Lakers were playing the Bulls in the NBA finals. And Craig Hodges went to what he considered two of arguably the most recognizable men on the planet, Michael Jordan and, and Magic Johnson, and said to him, look, let's boycott this because of police brutality. Both Michael Jordan and, and, and Magic Urban, uh, Magic Johnson looked at him like he was crazy and as much told him, you done lost your mind, we're not doing that. I also want us to go back and remember in 1996 when there was a young brother who was born Chris Jackson, now Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who wanted to who looked at the American flag as an oppressive symbol, exercising his rights, decided to, you know, just pray, by just looking into his hands, got stripped of everything. So what happened to Kaepernick and Eric Reed is what has happened to any athlete who did not, quote, shut up and dribble the ball. So now it beckons the question, Gene, and and I want to ask you this, do you know of any aspect in life in which politics is not a part of? Uh, that, that's a, a a great question.
0: I mean, uh, I think politics permeates everything we do. Uh, you go to church, uh, <laughs> politics. Uh, you go to your job, politics. You go to the PTA meeting, politics. Right. You go to you, you. Everywhere we turn, fraternities, yeah. sororities, uh, the community organizations. It's all politics which you know um uh uh, we accept it in so many other forms of life but somehow find it to be uh at least we react to it as an insult when particularly athletes and black athletes uh especially utilize their platform it's okay for a pta president it's okay for the governor Uh, to use his platform to say whatever he wants to say on cultural wars. It's okay for anybody to use their platform, but when black athletes, particularly in the sports that dominate, uh, they dominate basketball and football. We've seen historically, going all the way back to Bill Russell years, uh, how uh, they used effectively, Muhammad Ali used his platform effectively to take a stance don't care what happens i'm going to stand on principle and mm-hmm. and that's the thought uh, that i was having dr mac uh when you were saying how craig hodge i uh, just went to uh magic and uh michael and said mm-hmm. why don't we protest yes and that's just an example in my opinion of how today's generation are not willing to sacrifice that which is 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 important uh, to them for the greater good. Yes. Uh, you know, and 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 when you look at Muhammad Ali, he laid it all on the line. You, you fought your whole life to be the world champion. But I'm not going to go and kill some people that have brown and black people that have never done anything to me was his response. And I'll give it all up for that.
1: Yes. And, and, the, and the thing about it, Eugene, is not just Ali did that. There were so many athletes. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he was Lou Alcindor at UCLA. Remember, there was a time when um, the basketball in the Olympics was only played with college players. Well, the most dominant college player in the league was Lou Alcindor, as he was then known. Now, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Lou Kareem, I'm going to just say Kareem. Kareem said, I am not going to go over there. And win a gold medal and then come back here to be a second-class citizen but then that was in the 68 olympics this was the mindset of so many who had that that social consciousness kurt flood kurt flood gave up everything and now today athletes in every sport are, are, are wreaking the benefits of multi multi-million dollar contracts i would go so far as to say if there's one athlete who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame of every professional sports. Exactly. It is Kurt Blood. It is Kirk Blood. But, but so now when we go back and we think about Laura Ingram, when she, you know, now infamously said to LeBron James, just shut up and dribble the ball. See, we got to remember when it suits America's needs, America is not afraid to infuse sports and in politics. Give me some examples. Give me me some examples of it. Let me give you the quintessential example of it. Little girls. Now, and I'm going to go so far as to say more like little white girls because, you know, it's hard for me to believe that America was so interested in little black girls and their needs for equality. But I need for us to remember Title IX. Title IX was, was signed into law on June 23rd, 1972. And what was Title IX about? Title IX was to make sure that women were not discriminated against in the areas of athletics. And that's why you got Title IX into effect. I need for us to remember 1980, right? 1980, when Russia invaded Afghanistan. And when Russia invaded Afghanistan that year, the Olympic Games were going to be held in Moscow. And President Carter, Said that Russia, unless you leave Af- Afghanistan, we will not be attending the Olympic Games. You tell me that those are not two examples of sports and politics, but they were sports and politics when they when they fitted America's need. Now, even before that, if you go back to 1964. In 1964, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, told South Africa. You cannot attend the Tokyo Games. Well, why? Because you got all white athletes. You got all white rule. That is a quintessential example of politics entering sports. America had no problem with that. They had no problem. But in 68, when Tommy Smith and John Carlos gave that Black Power salute, we need to remember also what happened in 68 (laughs) There was a a young gymnast in 68, and her name was Vera Kavazovsky. She was standing on the platform. In 1968, in those same Olympics, remember, Russia had invaded Czechoslovakia. And when she had to stand on the stand, now she got to stand on the stand with a Russian athlete. And they had the Russian flag and the Czechoslovakian flag going up together. And as a matter of protest, she would turn her head when when their national anthem was being played. She would turn her head in protest. Everybody knew it. Avery Brundage knew it. The American Press knew it. The IOC knew it. Everybody in the world knew she was protesting in the 1968 Olympics. Nobody, nobody said a word. But when you look at that iconic photograph of Tommy Smith, John Carlos, and Norman, in protest, there was complete outrage. And what did America say about that? And and when I say outrage, I'm saying they had it in every sense. Let's look at now the then governor of California, Ronald Reagan. And we're not only going to look at Reagan, but we're going to look at a different cross-section of how did America view what these black athletes were protesting in 1968. Governor Reagan said, and I quote, I disagree, I disapprove greatly of what Edwards is trying to accomplish. He was talking about Professor Harry Edwards, who was leading uh, the, the Olympic Project for Human Rights movement. I disapprove greatly of what Edwards is trying to accomplish. Edwards is contributing nothing towards harmony between the races, end quotes. Average Brundridge, a known racist and, and tell us racist, who Average Brundridge is. Yes, a known racist, and was president of the International Olympic Committee, is quoted as saying, quote, if these boys are serious, they're making a bad mistake. If they're not serious and they're using the Olympic Games for publicity purposes, we don't like it. End quote. Time and and, and
0: the boys and the boys were the grown men who had Absolutely. participated.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And now Time Magazine stood the Olympics. After this moment, this iconic moment that was captured, Time Magazine, October 25th, 1968 wrote, and I quote, faster, higher, stronger is the motto of the Olympic Games. Angrier, nastier, uglier, better describes the scene in Mexico City last week, end quote. Brent Muskberger, who so many of us grew up watching on NFL Today show, with uh, with uh, Jane Kennedy, Irv Cross, Brent Musburger, a known racist as far as I'm concerned, is known to have said. And at the time, he was a writer for Chicago American. He described Smith and Carlos as quote a couple of black skin stormtroopers who were ignoble, juvenile, and unimaginative. And to this day, even when Brent Musburger is asked about, would you take back what you said about Smith and Carlos? Refuses to do it. Shows you how ingrained it was in him. But this is how this whole movement of when, when Black athletes use politics to address issues of inequality in our community, this is how they have been dealt with historically. So we're talking about 68. And we're talking about 68, as you as you stated, Gene, we can now look at the same thing that happened to Colin Kaepernick, you know, today, when he infused Black Lives Matter and what was going on in our culture, in our society, in our communities today with police brutality, police misconduct. Look at how he was dealt with. No different than the way athletes, whenever they have opened their mouths uh, in that sports arena and infused politics.
0: You know, you as you as we were t- having this discussion, uh, Dr. Mack. One of the things I thought about is PGA and Live. Uh the tournaments, uh that just what two weeks ago. Uh when you go back a year ago when the Live Tournament started taking uh the the some of the stars of the PGA, right. there was all sorts of outrage <laughs> on on principled issues of <laughs> politics that how could we ever support the Saudis who were involved in 9-11, who were involved in the killing of the journalists, who've done so many just atrocious human rights things and then you wake up one morning a couple of weeks ago and the same guy who said those things (laughs) now is the head of the The combined parent company that's going to handle the world golf uh, uh, tournament. Uh, So on the one hand, the hypocrisy uh, yeah. can't be missed it was it's been uh, uh uh hypocrisy historically and it's still going on yeah uh that 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 we see in 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 the most recent uh instance
1: and, and see Gene that is see, see that is the type of awareness that I could only hope that the rest of us would have when we study these moments because now see you're looking at that I mean you saw the hypocrisy when it happened but now you go back and think, Historically, of how America has dealt with Black athletes when they've tried to use their platform to address issues of equality, how they've been dealt with. Now you, you're you like, oh, wait a minute, Carl, that reminds me of what happens in golf. And just so that we're clear about golf now, the first ever U.S. Open was played in 1895 in Shinnecock. There was a Black who played in that tournament, a Black and a Native American to be exact, because that tournament was played on Shinnecock Golf Course. And that black was John Shippen. After that, you didn't see another black on tour in, in a major golf tournament, because in golf they had a whites only Caucasian clause. And it, that, that clause I think came into effect, they literally put it in, into effect in 1943, where it was written in their constitution and bylaws in the politics of golf, if you will. And it was finally lifted in 1961 because of a lawsuit uh, by Charlie Seifert. And then we had Pete Brown from Mississippi to win a first PGA-sanctioned golf event. So so we can go inside of every sport and we can see how politics was used to keep Blacks out. But now that Blacks want to use politics to address our issues, we have seen how America has dealt with that, uh, uh, dealt with those particular athletes. And I think the more that we bond together, which is why I was so disappointed that athletes did not come to the to the aid of Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. Why they didn't come to the aid of Brian Flores when he filed his lawsuit? We we have to go back and look at what happened in 1967 with the Ali Summit when Jim Brown and and, and Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul Jabbar and others surrounded Ali to make sure we are his brothers keepers.
0: And 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 you know with Bill Russell's death uh, over the past months. Um, uh, I've looked at his documentary. I think it was mm. on Netflix. Yes, and it's just moving. Yes, that a man who's literally on top of the world with championships, yes. uh, in a city that's as racist and uh, segregated as we probably had in the country, given Boston, uh, stood on principle. Yes, and left Boston, went and stood next to Ali. Uh, again, and put it all on the line, and it's as if the money has gotten too big now. Yes. The contracts have gotten too big for anybody to risk anything. Wow. Uh, uh, and 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 this new generation, and I'm looking really at basketball because, and I, I'm interested in your your take on this. It appears that basketball, and secondly, football. I can uh, uh being drugged there has come out on some social consciousness. Basketball uh, do a number of things during the course of the year and put it Black Lives Matter right on their shirts for the world to see. Uh, And I think that's the consequence of people like LeBron James Uh, speaking up. Michael Jordan is my idol, but he never spoke up. Uh, LeBron James goes back to the Bill Russell type era. And there's others obviously, but I'm just pointing out Bill Russell. He calls it out and yeah. and stood up. And guess what? It creates a respect for the topic yes. when right. the greatest athletes speak up. Yes. Uh, and, and, and 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 to your comment, how nobody came and huddled around Colin Kaepernick, if they had, it would have been taken differently. Well. Uh, <laughs> but, but they left him out there on an island by himself, and the system was able to abuse him. Because they couldn't get rid of all of them.
1: Yeah, right. They get rid of all and, of them. And that's the point is that if we were, you know, when you think about apolitical athletes, you know, there there are two that come to mind, and, and clearly you name one of them. You know, those those apolitical athletes are athletes who are not going to take a position, come hell or high water, because they're afraid of what is, you know, how that's going to negatively impact them. First and foremost, the, the first person that did it was OJ Simpson. Let us not forget O.J. O.J. didn't have nothing to say for black folks until he got caught up in all of that. Now, all of a sudden he wants to be black
0: Uh, until he got the jury until the (laughs) jury showed up. There there you
1: go. (laughs) And and, and then to your same point with Michael Jordan, Uh, you know, Jordan is is reported to have said, you know, when it came to endorsing a candidate over that racist Jesse Helms in, in Carolina, where Republicans buy tennis shoes, too. You know, come on. Come on, Mike. You know, point yeah. can't argue what you did on the court. But, but in the end, life goes beyond. That's why Ali is considered the greatest, because of the position that he took that benefited all of us. That's why LeBron James will be known as much for what he did off the court as what he did on the court. But not only LeBron James, Chris Paul and some others. And so because they got together and formed that, you know, Eugene, I got to tell you, when I saw Black Lives Matter on, this, on, the, on the basketball court, I lost my mind. When I looked at the back of the NFL helmets and I saw things like end racism, incredible. This is the power that athletes have if they would only go back and study the historic history of those of our ancestors who came before them, who showed them the way. Jim Brown, Ali, uh, uh, Jabbar, all of them showed us what we could do. Carlos, Professor Harry Edwards, so many have shown us what we can get accomplished if we use our platform. And we got to remember that platform is only going to be there for a short amount of time. You'll no longer have it. So those are great examples of of that.
0: Let's let's look uh, uh, specifically uh, into uh, football. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, again, that's America's sport football. Yeah. Uh, give us some history uh, lessons, if, if, if you will, on the history of football, sport as a sport
1: and politics. Yeah. All right. First of all, what we got to remember is that what we now know as the NFL started in 1920 and there were 10 teams that um, that started in what we now call today the NFL, the first black to ever play in what we now call the NFL. And for a long time in some of my previous publications, I said it was Fritz Pollard and I was absolutely wrong. When you go back and look at at, at exact days, the first Black to play in what is now called the NFL was a Black man named Bobby Marshall. Uh, He played with the Rock Island Independents. And then Fritz Pollard was also in that first cadre of Blacks. But of of all the teams that are in the NFL today, most people would probably get one of the answers right, but, but rarely are people going to get two. And that is, of all the teams that make up the National Football League today, what are the two teams who were part of the original start of the NFL in 1920? And so the answer is the Chicago Bears, who were called the Decatur Staleys in 1920. And they were called the Decatur Stateless because they were owned by a man named Stately and his business was in Decatur, Illinois. But then the following year, in 1921, he sold the Decatur Stateless to George Hallis for $100. And then Hallis moved them to Chicago. They became the Chicago Bears. Also in Chicago was a team called the Racing Cardinals that then became the Chicago Cardinals that today are the Arizona Cardinals. That family was owned by the Bidwill, Bidwill family. They owned them then. They still own them today. So those ten teams started the league, and so in the early part of the NFL, blacks played up until nineteen thirty-three, and then something happened in nineteen thirty-three. There was a new owner that came in the league named George Preston Marshall. Now George Preston Marshall was the owner of the Boston Braves, which ultimately moved to Washington. It became the Washington Redskins. Today, they are the Washington commanders. But of course, George Preston Marshall is dead. He no longer owns the team. And what the NFL now does is they're quiet about the the NFL's uh, gentlemen's agreement. So, So what happened is, in 1933, George Preston Marshall introduced the NFL gentlemen's agreement. And what this agreement was, it was to say, let's run all the blacks out of the league so that the NFL looks just like major league baseball. Now, i want us to just stop and pause for a minute. And if we were to think of who was the first black to integrate american sports in the modern time, because in every one of these sports blacks played before what we call the modern time. But i think most people would say, well, in 1947, april 15, 1947, Jackie Robinson in major league baseball. And as such, Baseball honors Jackie Robinson unlike any other sport with any other athlete in the world. There is no other sport in the world that honors one person the way Major League Baseball honors Jackie Robinson on April 15th, where every team and every player wears number 42. But why is Jackie Robinson viewed that way when, in fact, his teammate from UCLA seven months before then A guy by the name of Kenny Washington became the first black to integrate American professional sports in the modern time. And keep in mind, professional sports, we're saying football, baseball, basketball and hockey. So in September of 1946, Kenny Washington signed a contract with the Rams. But this is quickly how it happened. The Rams originally were out of Cleveland. In Los Angeles, they built a new coliseum, the LA Memorial Coliseum. The Rams wanted to relocate to the West Coast. They wanted to play in the coliseum, so they met with the commission, and they met with the citizens of Los Angeles. There was, after they finished their presentation, there was a Black man, a news reporter named Haley Hart. Haley stood up and reminded the Rams of their history of Blacks in the league and the NFL Gentlemen's Agreement, and he said to them, so now you are coming to us, the citizens of Los Angeles. Knowing that you have an exclusionary clause against black players and you want to play in a stadium built with black public tax dollars, the answer is no. The Rams said, What do we need to do? Sign Kenny Washington, sign a black player. So the Rams signed Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. And in September, and Woody Strode now is the black actor that you would see in a lot of the Western movies, but all of them played at UCLA. So at that point in 1946, Woody Stroll and Kenny Washington played with the Rams. Kenny Washington was the first of those to play and integrate and break the color barrier in professional sports. But why? Why is it that the NFL and he did this seven months before Jackie Robinson did it in football? I mean, in baseball. So why is it that the NFL does not say anything about Kenny Washington? And I would conclude this family. The NFC Championship trophy is named after George Hallis. George Hallis is not just an owner of one of the original teams. George Hallis is the godfather of the NFL. So whatever it is that George Preston Marshall did with that NFL's gentlemen's agreement gene, it is impossible to think that George Preston Marshall could have done that without the okay of George Hallis. Now, furthermore, if you go back, and any of you that are out there, I want you to Google this quote. What did Fritz Pollard think about George Hallis? And keep in mind, Fritz Pollard was the second black to play in the NFL, the first black to coach, and the first black to win a a world championship. Go back when you Google, what did Fritz Pollard think of George Hallis? Read what Fritz Pollard said. Fritz Pollard would tell you that Hallis was one of the most racist son of a guns out there. So I'm saying to you that George Preston Marshall could not have been successful in running out every black in the league without the OK of George Hallis. And so today the NFL wants to paint George Hallis as what do they call him? Papa Bear Hallis, a grand old statesman of the league. They don't want you to know about his racist past. Now, had George Hallis come back and say, you know, during that era we were wrong, I could be okay with it. George Hallis didn't say that. George Hallis wanted to now say that the NFL Gentleman's Agreement was a myth, that blacks didn't really care about the NFL. He gave every excuse except owning up to what he did and keeping Kenny Washington and so many blacks out of the league. And so that is part of the history of blacks in the nfl and why you had this gap between 1933 and 1946 it was because of the nfl gentleman's agreement and so the first black to integrate professional modern sports was not jackie robinson in the modern times it would have been kenny washington and he did it because the nfl had run blacks out of the league based on the nfl gentleman's agreement issued in by george preston marshall But co-signed by families, and in 1933, when he he instituted that gentleman's agreement, listen to the names of the families in the NFL. You had Palace. You had Bidwill with the Cardinals. The Green Bay Packers were in existence. The Roonies with Pittsburgh were in existence. The Giants and mara that family was in existence. These are all sacred and hallowed names in the NFL. But all of these teams, all of these families were part of that, gen- that quote, gentleman's agreement with the NFL.
0: And it's interesting, uh, George Marshall, uh, when he made the comment, when asked about, you know, why don't you uh, uh, diverse, diversify the the uh, integrate NFL. the league? Right. And his comment was. Um, uh, will start signing Negroes when the Harlem Gold Trotters start signing um, uh, whites. That shows arrogance, uh, trying to justify why uh, they can hold on to the gentleman's agreement that you've referenced.
1: But but Gene, one of the things I would say to you, that if you go back and, and if you ask, NFL owner, I I would guarantee, you know, I'd probably say that if you ask NFL owners today about the NFL gentlemen's agreement, they would probably be closed-lipped about it. Because I have to ask myself, how is it that Jackie Robinson can get the type of of praise and honor for breaking the color barrier in, in baseball, but nobody knows about Kenny Washington. Very few people know of Kenny Washington coming seven months before Jackie Robinson. Why is that? And I'm led to believe that the NFL does not want that part of their history known about that gentleman's agreement. And if they do know about it, they're going to place all the blame on George Preston Marshall, because the other thing you got to remember about George Preston Marshall, and he's a beautiful scapegoat. He's an easy scapegoat. He's an easy scapegoat because the Washington Redskins were the last team to integrate the NFL. So as a matter of fact, if you ever if you come to D.C., You'll find as many Cowboy fans in D.C. as you do Redskins fans. And part of the reason why so many Blacks turned away from the Redskins because they were the last team to integrate. And the reason why the Washington Redskins finally had to integrate is because the United States Secretary of Interior, Udall, and the Attorney General, Kennedy, see, the, the, the Redskins, then Redskins were using RFK State. They were using a public stadium. And they told them, if you want to continue using that stadium, you better draft a Negro, if you will, to your team. That year they drafted the Express out of Syracuse, Ernie Davis. Ernie Davis was the first Black to win the Heisman Trophy. Ernie Davis went to Syracuse, which is where Jim Brown went. And Jim Brown recruited Ernie Davis to go to Syracuse. So now Washington Drafted Ernie Davis, but Ernie Davis told Washington, I will never play for your racist football team. (laughs) Jim Brown knew about this. Jim Brown went to Paul Brown and they arranged a trade so that now Washington drafted Ernie Davis and immediately traded him to Cleveland. When he traded him to Cleveland, you would have had Jim Brown and Ernie Davis, the first black to win the Heisman Trophy in the same backfield. But because he was diagnosed with leukemia, Ernie Davis died before he played one down of football. Wow. Wow. That's
0: a bit of history that I didn't know.
1: There you go. Yeah. The, uh,
0: it, it, and it's interesting, I didn't know that about the Redskins. So not only did they have uh, the past, but, but a year or two ago, we finally made them get rid of the Redskins yes. uh, name and it's, you know, uh, obviously insult to indigenous people. Um, uh, so that's, that, that's a franchise, hopefully there.
1: Well, but Gene, but but Gene, I will say this about Washington. Also keep in mind that today, the Washington commanders are the first team in NFL history to have an African-American president as president of the team. And they're the first team to hire a black woman as a coach. On their on their on their team, so they are making progress. You know, towards you know, doing some better things. So as much as we can criticize them for, for their behavior in the past, they have done some groundbreaking. They've made some groundbreaking strides as well.
0: And and, and I I want to uh, be clear that clearly we we've, we've made headway. Yes. Um, but to make progress without understanding the historical foundation, put progress at risk. Yes, uh, and 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 I take from you uh, 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 that it's critical that we know our history, because it's an old saying that if you don't know your history, history will repeat itself. Will repeat. Uh, and 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 it's not that we're you. I take your 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 your. Lectures and your books and everything—not uh, to just keep banging on the old days, if you will, or the past—and uh, and, but making sure we all, black-white society as a whole, understand from whence we've come and the the the, the misbehaviors and ill positions that we are—that's there. You can't hide it, and if we don't acknowledge it then we fall right back into it. Right. And you see some of that happening in the state of Florida. Uh, what is going on with our governor mm-hmm. uh in taking books off the shelves if they if they make one white person uh uh, uh uneasy. Uh it's just ludicrous. But you don't see our outcry because we don't have a historical perspective. If you go back 3 400 years They didn't want you to learn how to read, uh, to keep you ignorant of general information and your history so you wouldn't know there's a different life than slavery. Now they're interfering with the education process, taking black history books, books that have been on on the shelves in libraries for decades and decades, and all of a sudden they're offensive. uh, In this quote, you know, woke era that they're
1: creating. So and, and Eugene, just imagine this. Imagine if members of the Miami Dolphins told Florida, tell you what, we ain't playing as long as this nonsense, this kind of political nonsense is going on. It'll be so imagine if every, one of your, if every one of your sports teams at this and said, we're not going to play. Every one, well, one of the football team Jacksonville. Thing. What the the, the Miami Hurricanes, Florida State, go to all your athletes. Imagine if all of your athletes said, I tell you what, Mr. DeSantis, and then now you got Mickey and Minnie saying, Hey, maybe we need to find a new home. See, you know, so you're know, part of, of, of us understanding history is to say, because if I were an athlete and I really understood what Ali sacrificed, what Kareem Abdul Jabbar, what Jim Brown, with Bill Russell. What, what Carlos and Smith, if I understood all of them, I might be able to say to my team, look, Kirk Flood, there's, there's a lot of folks who pay the supreme price for us to have this opportunity. Now, we too old. And with that nonsense going on in the governor's mansion in Florida with DeSantis, we can put a stop to it. And they say, well, Carl, what do you recommend? Let's not play let not only us not play, but let us gather the support from every athlete across this state not to play black, white, and otherwise to join us in our rally. You let that type of effort. And and so part of, you know, as you stated, why I want to educate us about this is so that we can understand that if we want to bring about change, because when America wants to bring about change, she's not being, not only did America boycott the Olympics in 1980, but when we talk about sports and politics, Then you had the Congress of the United States to award special congressional medals to all of the athletes who didn't go to the Olympics because of the boycott. See, when America wants to infuse sports and politics for her her needs, she'll do it. We need to be able to use our platform and not allow anybody else to define that platform for us. And that's that's the overarching reason of, of why I'm so honored, Gene, that you've taken the time To give us a platform to talk about our history in areas and arenas that might not be at the forefront of people's minds when you're thinking about Black history, so I thank you so much.
0: No, no, I appreciate you and 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 your scholarship and and leadership on the topic. One of the things that I just had this discussion, I I received a um, a legacy award from the T.J. Riddick Bar Association. I guess about two weekends or so ago, and it is an honor, but um, I, in receiving the award, I challenged them that when you look at Florida's history, when you look at Florida's history, the black lawyer sacrificed it all back in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, when they were not allowed to even be in bar associations. They mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, the, the basics, they, you know, within uh, James Weldon Johnson, was the first, we know him as the composer and author of the Negro National Anthem, but he was the first lawyer to take the bar and pass the bar in the state of Florida.
1: I did not know
0: that. 116 years before I got sworn in as the bar president. Mm. Uh, 116 years from Mm. when when he took the bar for us to have the first person of color to become the president of our uh, bar association. But what I told folks is when you go back and you look at the history of the black lawyer, it is the architect of the state of Florida. Things that stop black folks stopping at the toll plaza on the turnpike. That was prohibited Mm -hmm. until black lawyers protested that and filed lawsuits to open up those doors. Going to my home now, I look out when I look to the south of my condo, I look on our stretch of land was was dania beach when i was growing up here in the 60s from 60 when i was born to about 65 66 the beaches were segregated dania beach was our beach we had to mm. catch a ferry over to dania beach i'm now looking down on it mm. uh uh that that's the only place we can go and the stupidity of it is The waters of Dania Beach goes right around the corner. It's on the other beach. It's all the Atlantic Ocean. But somehow we were not able to come up there to 64, 65 when there was wait-ins over and over and over again until they broke that barrier. Uh, But lawyers broke those uh, barriers down. And you go from education, desegregation, lawyers. And I challenge our lawyers now, just as we've been talking about the athletes, to, to not be so comfortable in in, in, in in what you've achieved financially until you lose your way on the role you must play for the next generation. Yeah. We're, we sit here and we stand quietly and things are now percolating, but we stand quietly to see government taking rights from our people, our children, and we don't open up our mouths. Where will we be if the lawyers of yesteryear didn't open up their mouths.
1: And Eugene, it, 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 you know, it comes to that point because history is going to, you know, history can easily forget. Like, I can't remember every fight that Ali was a part of, but what I, the one fight that I do remember, that he had the courage to stand on principle, I will forever remember that. He will always be the greatest. Right. I'm not going to remember all of the stats behind LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. I'm not going to remember the stats between the two, but the one thing I'm going to remember is that Michael Jordan wouldn't open his mouth. He wouldn't say a word about what was going on in the Black community. And I know that LeBron James opened up a school. He's, he, he's, he's put his voice on every kind of cause when it comes to inequality with Black folks. You know he's a champion in that arena. You're either going to remember, be remembered as O.J. Simpson running through the airport and running away from black folks? Or are you going to be remembered as Chris Paul and the LeBron James and the Kurt Floods and the Bill Russells of life? That is, is you know, I don't understand how folks can't get that. History is going to record you. And I think what you're saying here is, as, as attorneys, history is going to record you, whether you did it or didn't do it. But history right. will record you and that and that record is going to be there forever and a day no matter what you try to do to try to change it you're not going to be able to so that's part of why we study this the, the, you know at least that's that's it for me is is i need for for this generation to understand there's a legacy of of change that takes place and that change has taken place at the risk of folks risking it all you so many others, and, and we have to continue to do that. I would—I can personally tell you that I wouldn't have had the courage to do it without understanding history because I would have been too self-absorbed in my own. But when you look at, and, and I'm gonna tell you, of uh, uh, the stories that break my heart. Now, I don't know, uh, Eugene, if you've had a chance to see the documentary Stand with Mahmoud abdul Rauf, but I would recommend you to take a look at that. I don't know if many of you know exactly what the price was paid by Kurt Flood or if you really know Kurt Flood's story. But I would strongly recommend you go take a look at it. You know, I mentioned Craig Hodges. I want you to go back. There's a documentary of, with, with Craig Hodges and the fact that Craig Hodges said that because the, the visit to the White House had been delayed instead of happening in July, it happened in October. Craig Hodges wrote a handwritten letter and gave it to the press secretary for President Bush talking about the disparity in our community and and asking the president to address these issues. And a year later, Craig Hodges, who was one of the the most deadliest three-point shooters in the league, was part of the the Bulls' 91 and 92 championship teams. 1992, he's out of the league. So, you know, these prices are going to be paid. However, to be able to stand up, I don't care what arena you in, which is why Eugene, I ask you: Is there any aspect of life in which politics is not a part of life? So we always belong there, and you don't let somebody like Laurel Ingram or nobody else define how we use our platform.
0: Every time I speak with you, I'm ready to get up and go run through walls. Uh, your 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 history uh enriches me every time we chat and i pray that it enriches those that are listening uh, i'm so proud uh to get the report of the reception you've received around the country as you continue your tour uh there's a calling upon your life uh there's a calling upon all of our lives but it's beautiful when you see the person accept it and go forth i wish you continued uh uh success and good health To fulfill your purpose. Uh thank you so much, Dr. Mack, for coming with us. It won't be the last time because there's so much history out there that we don't know. I know Craig Hodges for hitting three pointers uh, for the Bulls. I'm gonna look up the documentary and the comments he made. I didn't I've never heard that before. So when you know the true history, it gives a different perspective on the man or the woman. It gives the contents of their heart, not just their, their game, if you will. So again, thank you for coming on uh, Can We Talk 360. Uh, you've enriched me, and I pray you've done the same for those listeners.
1: Thank, thank you, so. you. Thank you.
0: The law firm of Hallitzer, Petison and Schwamm is a proud sponsor of the Can We Talk 360 podcast. Our firm handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, catastrophic personal injury litigation, and workers' compensation matters. We pride ourselves in being advocates for justice on behalf of those who have been seriously injured. For decades, we've taken the lead in making your case our priority. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Hallitzer-Pettison-Schwamm.
1: Serious injuries. Proven results.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Can We Talk 360? I sincerely hope that you were inspired to seize this moment in time and take real action towards change. Remember, all change begins with a conversation. Be sure to tune in every month for more fascinating discussions and motivational food for the soul. Please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CanWeTalk360 and visit us on the web at www.CanWeTalk360.com.